We are a community that loves like Jesus. And my hope and my prayer is that this would be a transformative experience for you. We're continuing our sermon series titled, The Best Stories Ever. And today's sermon is called, The Wonder of His Love. We're focused on the end of Jesus' life now and what the events of the crucifixion really mean for us as Christian people. So there's a lot of theory and a lot of philosophy and theology that revolves around the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And if you sift through this, you will come to many conclusions. Yet, you will only come to one theme, really, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It is an important event for God. And so the question I have for all of us is, is this event important for us? You like the person of Jesus. Maybe you think he's a cool guy. You think he's even a healer of many or performed certain miracles. Yet without the belief in the resurrection of Christ, uh, that he overcame death, without that peace, Jesus is just another person. Just another person that claimed and performed some pretty cool tricks. So he becomes just another prophet. Yet Jesus was crucified. He died. He was buried in a tomb. And he was resurrected. Also ascended into heaven. So I have to ask this question, what's the big deal? What does this really mean? Really, what does it really mean for all of us? So I'm going to answer that question, what's the big deal about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ? And we're going to read in Mark 15. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up that device or a paper Bible and turn to the book of Mark, starting in chapter 15. I'm going to read all the way through to 16.7, to 16.7. It goes like this. Simon, a man from Cyrene, Alexander and Rufus's father, was coming in from the countryside. They forced him to carry his cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means skull place. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he didn't take it. 24 says they crucified him. They divided up his clothes, drawing lots for them to determine who would take what, and it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. In verse 26, it says, the notice of the formal charge against him was written, the king of the Jews. They crucified two outlaws with him, one on his right and one on his left. And people walking by insulted him, shaking their heads and saying, ha, so you are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, were you? Save yourself and come down from the cross, they said. In the same way, the chief priests were making fun of him among themselves. uh, Together with the legal experts, he saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross. Then we'll see and believe. Even those who had been crucified with Jesus insulted him. So from noon until three in the afternoon, the whole earth was dark. And at three, Jesus cried out with a loud shout, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you left me? So after hearing him, some standing there said, look, he's calling for Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a pole. He offered it to Jesus to drink saying, let's see if Elijah will come to take him down. But Jesus let out a loud cry and finally died. So the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing Jesus saw how he died, he said, this man was certainly God's son. 
Some women were watching from a distance, including Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger one, and Joseph and Salome. And when Jesus was in Galilee, these women had followed and supported him along with many other women who had come to Jerusalem with him. And in Jesus' burial, since it was late in the afternoon on preparation day, just before the Sabbath, Joseph uh, from Arimathea dared to approach Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Joseph was a prominent council member who was eagerly anticipating the coming of God's kingdom. Pilate wondered if Jesus was already dead. He called the centurion and asked him whether Jesus had already died. And when he learned from the centurion that Jesus was dead, Pilate gave the dead body to Joseph. He brought a linen cloth, took Jesus down from the cross, wrapped him in the cloth, and laid him in the tomb that had been carved out of a rock. He rolled the stone against the entrance of the tomb, and Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of of Joseph, saw where he was buried. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they could go and anoint Jesus' dead body. Very early on, the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they came to the tomb. They were saying to each other, who's going to roll away the stone from the entrance for us? When they looked up, they saw the stone that had been rolled away, and it was a very large stone. Going into the tomb, they saw a young man in a white robe seated on the right side, and they were startled. But he said to them, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has been raised. He isn't here. Look, here's the place where they laid him. Go tell his disciples, especially Peter, that he's going ahead of you into Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. Well, in 1 Corinthians 1.18, and this whole story, keeping this whole story in mind, in 1 Corinthians 1, it says, for the message of this message that we just read of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Well, just a little bit of backdrop about crucifixion. Death by crucifixion was the worst imaginable sentence. It was, desp- it was a despicable way to die. A Roman citizen would have never been crucified. It was a death reserved for the worst of criminals. So you think about the criminals on the right and the left and what they did. Jesus was arrested and tried, according to my interpretation of Scripture, illegally. Tried and sentenced to die by crucifixion, which was unfair. He didn't deserve that. He was innocent. And the angels of heaven, I believe, were ready to come down by his command to destroy the planet in a matter of seconds. But Jesus prays this prayer at the very end. He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And after six hours of excruciating pain, Jesus died. But yet that's not the end of the story. The story continues and continues in the books of the book of Acts and all the letters to the church, we see the church birth out of this one event. And some religious groups definitely focus very heavily on the cross. They focus on the humanity of Christ versus the heavenly Christ or the kingdom of Christ and the humanity of us versus our eternal being with Christ forever. 
Yet I think that's important to focus on the humanity of Christ and also the kingdom of Christ. So the significance of the cross with the significance of the resurrection is this. It acts as the fulfillment of the law and the prophets when Jesus goes basically in the depths of those in prison in 1 Peter, he satisfies all the Old Testament covenants and gives us this new established covenant, the new community which is in his resurrection, in his spirit, and that is the church. So when he sits around the table at the very end and, and he says, do this in remembrance of me, we commune together around the body. And when he says, do, drink this wine, this fruit of the vine in remembrance of me, this is the new covenant. We do this in remembrance of the blood that he shared, the body that he sacrificed and the blood that he shared and the spirit that he sent us binds us together as a community. It's effectuated through our faith and it's celebrated in communion each and every week and also the death and resurrection is celebrated in our baptism. So the significance of this is shown in the events that happened after he resurrected and ascended. The, it shows the strength, it's the strength of the community, the faith of the community, the perseverance of the community. The significance of this event is shown through the acts of the followers like Peter and John and Polycarp, some of these later followers that were, that were crucified themselves or killed and disemboweled and quartered and boiled in oil and they saw the resurrected Christ, some of them did, and they witnessed the truth and some of them said, I haven't denied my Lord yet, why am I gonna deny him now? Put a sword in my, in my side, I don't care. Chop my head off, crucify me, boil me in oil. I'm not gonna deny him, I never have denied him before because they witnessed the power of the resurrection, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. So I see a lot of faith with these people and I see a lot of faith, look, faith looking at the death and the resurrection and I see it empower the church. People were willing to die for it. They were willing to sacrifice for it, for the message, the gospel that is foolishness for the world but power for us that believe. So the church is the expression of this atonement. And here's what I believe about the church. The church is a community not to be forsaken. The Bible explains that we are to be helping one another and giving to one another. And this expression, this community that's commissioned by God through the atonement is a together community that is to be power in love to the world around us. It's to be taken seriously. The church is to be taken seriously because people see Christ. They see this act of the gospel expressed through love. They see Christ through the church. So yes, I will admit I have been disappointed by the church. I have been disappointed by people's behavior. People don't meet my expectations. People don't meet your expectations. Some of you have been deeply hurt by the church, the church universal. Maybe You've attended a place here or there, and they say, they say hurtful things. Maybe you were greeted at a foyer once, and that person stuck out their hand or didn't stick out their hand and were very unwelcoming, or they said the wrong thing, or they just insulted you in a way. I know that hurtful things happen. Some very tragic things have happened in the church. Even people have died because of the church, and that's horrific. But yet, the death and the resurrection of Christ 
is not equal necessarily to our just fleshly behavior. Our faith in the message and the person of Jesus doesn't make me fall out of life. It doesn't make me speak poorly of his bride and say hurtful things just because things were said hurtful to me. It doesn't make me deny the existence of Christ when somebody insults me or I've been tragically wounded by the church. And so, the church, we are the expression of this atonement. And as we're becoming Christ-like, and I know that we're going to make mistakes all along the way, and some of those mistakes are going to be really bad, does the death and resurrection of Christ motivate you to love more? Even though we have, we're just people, doesn't matter to you, and even though you've been maybe feel fried at the stake, do you still lift up Christ? Do you still love God's church? Do you reach a hand into the world that's love, edification, family, togetherness, communion, and good nature? Well, what does the death, burial, and resurrection motivate us to be like? That's the question that I have right in the middle of this sermon. What kind of life does it motivate you to live? What kind of life does it motivate you to give? In the community of the church, we are to give and a sacrifice of ourselves and to and to take on the humility that, that Christ had while he was here on earth. In Philippians 2, starting in verse 12, it says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And what I believe that means is we're saved and we have the flesh and the spirit going on inside of us. And sometimes the flesh wins out and sometimes the spirit wins out. But no matter what, as we're working things out inside, that I do the things I do not want to do, it's the sin inside of me that Paul says, that we continue to move towards love no matter what. Because of the resurrection of Christ, we sacrifice for one another. Because of the resurrection of Christ, we work for people's success emotionally. We work for other people's success spiritually. We work for each other's people's success relationally. And as I see in the New Testament church that they gave all of their possessions to those that were in need, we work for each other's success even in the material, in the physical. We work for each other's success physically. Well, two principles that I just want to focus on here when it comes to the death and the resurrection of Christ, which is expressed in his church, is, is this. The event of the gospel, the event of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus reveals something very seriously. And it reveals that somebody had to die for the mistakes and the sins in my life. And this is what Jesus fulfilled in the cross. The cross is the reminder that through the old covenant that sin requires atonement and Jesus satisfies the law and the prophets, right? So the atonement satisfies, satisfies the requirements of the law. So when we look at our lives and we admit our wrongdoing and we become transparent to God and to others, Yes, it's vulnerable. It's like standing naked in a cold wind, ice cold wind, right? It hurts. It hurts to be vulnerable with others and vulnerable to God. It hurts so bad that sometimes we begin to deny that we even do wrongdoing. It's hard to admit that we do wrong. Well, we become used to it or we compensate for it. And so if, you have, if you've ever walked into maybe a dark restaurant, the lights are dim and as we're 
opening up our restaurants right now through the pandemic, you're going to walk back into restaurants. Some of them are dark and you can't read the menu and your eyes need to adjust. Well, that's the same thing with my mistakes. Sometimes my mistakes, I get so used to them that my eyes just adjust to them and I don't see the difference between what is good and what is bad. And so sin doesn't seem so bad anymore. And we begin to forget that our behavior affects people, it affects God. And I'm sure that when, uh, when we as Christians forget that sin is serious, I wonder if we forget that the death and the resurrection of Christ was serious. I know that God doesn't forget my, my mistakes through like this event. He said, I sent my son for your mistakes. So not only does it affect our relationship with God and the seriousness of sin affects our relationship with Christ, it also affects the community. For the wages of sin is death and the gift of God is eternal life in Christ our Lord. This idea of death, I believe, is a death of relationship and also the spiritual. So the, the death that he's talking about, we affect our relationship with God with our sin, but we also affect our relationship with others with our sin. So the death and the resurrection not only expose the true nature or the, or the, uh, rather the seriousness of sin, it also exposes the nature of sin. A person once said, when you see the innocent Christ tortured on the cross, you see that there is something horribly wrong with humankind. There's the human heart that is laid bare and man's mistakes are now known. And it's never blacker or more hideous than at the cross. There you hear the verdict of God, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the death and resurrection not only shows the seriousness but the nature of sin, but also demonstrates that sin is not to be taken lightly. We shouldn't just brush it off like it doesn't matter. It's the little sins that nailed Jesus to the cross, the sins that we become accustomed to in our own lives, the jealousy or the greed or the cowardiceness or the egotism or the white lies of, let's say, the jealousy of the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the greed of Judas, the cowardice of the disciples, the egotism of Caiaphas, the high priest, the white lies of the false witnesses, the compromise of Pilate, my own compromise that, that he caved into this crowd, and then the expediency of the Roman soldiers who said, it's just our job to kill him, right? And so those little sins all along the way is what killed Jesus. And it's our little sins that need to be taken seriously and not lightly. We need to remember this, that sin is a wound in the heart of God. Well, that's a lot about sin. And that's a lot about my mistakes. And in that part of this sermon, I would probably just feel a heavy weight, because I do feel a heavy weight of just saying the word sin over and over and over again. It doesn't sound good. My mistakes don't feel good. It makes me feel vulnerable before God and before you to say that I have fallen short, that I am a sinner. But even though I have made horrible mistakes in my life, there's one truth also that the death and the resurrection reveals to me is that God loves me. And this is what is ultimately revealed in this, what he called new covenant that he gives in his blood. See, the world sees the death and the resurrection as foolishness. It's like a joke. 
that, that Jesus died on the cross and why? Why did this happen? Yet that event is outside of human nature. It's, it's basically a lesson for all of history to learn from that sacrifice shows love. The grace of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God shows love so much that it actually makes us different. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus takes on my mistakes. He takes on the sin of all humanity and displays forgiveness. Through this event, I am shown a tremendous amount of love. Through this event, the community of the body of believers is shown that they are the righteousness of God, that we are the expression of this righteousness, that we're the expression of his love. Not only are we shown love, but now we become the expression of this love. So the more time we hang out with Jesus and devotion and prayer and community, the more love I experience. Therefore, the more I can express that love to others. So if you spend your time with Jesus in the word of God and in prayer, you become the righteousness of God. You become the forgiveness of God. You become the mercy of God. You become the love of God towards those in a desperate world. So in the death and resurrection of Christ, we definitely find victory. We see, number one, in the, in the immaterial, the, the unseen, we see victory over Satan, no longer do you have to be bound by the chains of Satan in your life of guilt and resentment and hurt and past action. Those are forgiven. But you can be free from continued resentment and grudge keeping. You can be free and experience closeness to God. You can be free from the bondage of harbored grudges and, and guilt in our lives, not only what people have done to us, but what we have done to others. You can be free from hopelessness and maybe even neediness and free from the lack of love. Why? Because now we've been given this opportunity to receive grace, the opportunity to receive mercy. But yet, we also have the opportunity to practice grace. We have the opportunity to practice mercy to one another and to others in our life. So in Ephesians 5, starting in verse 2, it says this, live a, live a life filled with love. Following the example of Christ, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing, and a pleasing aroma to God. And so since Christ was a pleasing aroma to God, the more we sacrifice, give mercy, forgiveness, and grace to others, that is a sweet, pleasing aroma to God as well. And all of that, the story and the continued forward history, that's what makes this story the best story ever. Let's take communion together. So this is the body and the blood of Christ that we talked about through this whole sermon. And I don't need to give an extra explanation of necessarily what this is. But he sat around a table and he said, this is my body, do this in remembrance of me. This is the fruit of the vine, this is my blood, do this in remembrance of me. We take and we eat and we say, thanks be to God. 
Father, thank you for, Lord, the message, Lord, of the gospel, the event of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, Lord, that you came, you lived, you died on a cross, you resurrected from a tomb, you ascended into heaven. Lord, you promised that you would come back for your people. Thank you for that good news that not only do we can live a life of love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness on earth, but through the, your gospel, we can live forever in eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.